the Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined by my colleague, my partner, my mentor, and the real brains of the operation in jet black, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? So good. I am excited to be with you, Christian. And yeah, this is a, this is a new sweater my wife got for me. She put my uh, our logo on it. I don't know if you can see right here. So uh, oh. I'm happy to wear it. A little, a little Altium logo, the purple that you always uh, notice. So yeah. Well, that's nice. Uh, an early Valentine's gift, right? A Absolutely. So, some, and then she's taking me shopping to get some Stance socks today. She got me my first pair of Stance. I'm like, I am not wearing any other socks ever again after I, after I <laughs> tried these. I hadn't, my kids always get them, right? And I'm like, what's the big deal? And so, yeah, she got me some of these uh, Stance socks we're going shopping for today, uh, this afternoon. Well, before you go shopping, we got work to do. Yes, we do. We've got major work to do because we have an absolutely incredible guest on our humble little podcast today. I am so excited to introduce him. It's Scott Hamilton, who really needs no introduction, but what? Yes. (laughs) Olympic champion, cancer survivor, my favorite figure skating television commentator of all time. Ah, thank you. Motivational speaker, author, husband, father. And I love this in your bio, eternal optimist mm. so scott that's a, it's an ah, thank you it's, an well, honor it's great to be here it's a pleasure thank you it was a nice introduction i appreciate that well i know i'm just scratching the surface here because you're in the <laughs> and uh philanthropist you've got the cares foundation you've got an exciting new project coming up called live your days uh and i'm super eager we are both super eager to dive into all of those things. But before we get into that, why don't you just tell us a little bit about where you're joining us from? You've got this crazy mantle behind you. I know it's my office. And it's, you know, it was like when we bought the house, it was like the sitting room. It was really modern and crazy. It's like, yeah, it's like, let's just like plain, make make it a little more plain. But this fireplace is in here and it's kind of over the top. It looks like something out of like, Beauty and the Beast or some Disney movie or something, but it's like, I like it. It's just kind of gigantic. So it's kind of a nice backdrop. And and then normally Michelle would be here working over there. She um, works for me. And then my wife has a little uh, desk over on the other side and she's you know over there doing all the family stuff. And, and so, yeah, this is a very busy room day to day. I think it's fantastic. Full of character and, uh, an office is like, hey, Scott Hamilton works. He actually works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you can see there's lights on still, so that means that so far so good. You know, it's it's um, you know I, I skated for a long time. I toured for pretty much 20 years. Um, and when I when we had our first child, I decided to get off the road entirely. And and by then, you know, it was five times the amount of work for. Uh, 5% of the return on investment, you know, so I was kind of like, okay, maybe uh, now's the time to kind of like step away from active skating. Plus, I didn't really want to travel anymore because I, you know, I've become a father and, and, uh, you know, I just really wanted, I, I felt like I worked long enough and hard enough where I could just be there for his first steps, first words, and just be really involved as a parent. And, uh, and that, that choice was the right one because, you know, he's, a great kid he's now 17 and uh you know he he has uh aspirations of going into the military and uh you know he's a smart kid a really handsome kid he's just hard-working focused so couldn't be more proud of the investment you know we made in him day to day and and my wife's an incredible mother um just really super involved and on it and you know almost to that level of you know extrasensory perception where she can see things coming, you know, a year in advance. And, and she's just an amazing, amazing woman and wife and uh, life partner. And so 
I'm blessed beyond my wildest dreams. And um, I'm just, you know, just grateful to still be alive and experiencing all of this. Wow. Your, your son has uh, certainly a great, great uh, two pair, uh, you know, parents and mentors and both of you, but can you do a backflip like dad? Uh, no, and neither can I. So it makes this even right. So I can, they're right here, but they're not anywhere below like brain down. No, they don't. They don't exist anymore. I did my last one 11 years ago. And so that's enough. Uh, yeah, but that always amazed me. How do you do that on skates? I'm like, I can't oh, even do it on a trampoline. No, it's way easier to do on skates than anywhere else because you have all that speed, momentum, and that force just shoots you right up in the air. So um, it's super yeah. hard landing if you don't. Well, yeah, it's an unfortunate landing if you don't quite make it over. But um, I've only that's only happened a couple times, you know, because I really took my time learning it and I, I did it right. I went to gymnastics coaches instead of, you know, I, I the first couple lessons I took were from skaters that could do it, and and I was going, uh, this, this technique seems a little sketchy to me. So I went to a gymnastics coach friend of mine, and we spent a lot of time in foam pits and and trampolines and and just doing them on the ground, you know, with him spotting and and I got the movement down, and and so that particular takeoff in skating where you're gliding left and you're vaulting right. I just, that was probably my strongest jump. And so once I started learning how to square off and not rotate, uh, backflip just became something that was so much fun to do and easy. And, and, uh, but it, you know, it wasn't easy until I got the technique down. And so then this, it got this is, this is such an important point and I'd love for you to hit on it. So often we, we see people that are the overnight success or right? they, they make things look easy. You know, this is, one of the things you mentioned in, in one of the interviews you did, I think with, with Allison Sweeney is talking about your road to actually being a, a gold mental, a metal skater. And, and it wasn't easy. It mm. was years and frustration and, and challenge and, and, and uncertainty. Oh, and a lot of failure, a mountain of failure. You know, you got to work through, uh, you know, failing tests, failing competition, um, you know, just, you know, being behind and your peers and trying to figure out a way to catch up. And, and then there's, you know, kind of, um, we estimated, and when I wrote my book, Finish First, we, 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 I just general estimation of I've fallen on the ice 41,600 times. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of that where it's on the low end, I would think, but, you know, when you look at that and, you know, you, you're trying to build, um, you know, your abilities, build, you know, work through problems, uh, and then dealing with constant failure, you know, it's one of those things where once you have that muscle built where you get up 41,600 times, things, you know, challenges, disappointments, things like that take on a different identity because, you know, that muscle in that or that, you know, um, kind of the callous, not callous, because that's a, that's a bad word, but that, that toughness that you build up, you know, resilience, just, resilience of just working through failures with the hope that you'll one day master that that trick or that um that skill i love that so much i actually i, I want to i'd love to be able to quote you on that fallen forty one thousand six hundred times it mm -hmm. actually made me a little emotional when you said that yeah it's hard i mean but you know it, it, anything worth doing you know if, if, if you really really want to be in something you have to be willing to fail and, and, you know, because nothing is easy. And I, I feel bad, like I, when I wrote Finish First, I wrote it for a generation that I felt was kind of getting lost. You know, I was, you know, kind of the millennials where it's really, you know, everything that comes to them, you know, they, 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 they grew up native to the digital world and it's hard for them to, you know, kind of uh, commit to the long haul. It's like building something slowly over a long period of time, you know, when everything is just instant gratification, you know, and so I thought, well, maybe it would serve them. You know, talk about um, showing up with X, you know, with showing up every day with intention of getting better, committing to long haul, all these different principles that it takes in order to build um, a successful life, no matter whether it's in sports or um, entertainment or business or whatever, those same principles apply to all across the board. And so, you know, I just feel like, I just need to write it. And I had no idea how broad the audience was. It was, you know, kids in sports, it was millennials, it was um, people that had retired 
and we're looking for meaning in their lives. And, you know, just that whole idea that as long as there's breath in my lungs, I still have something to accomplish or something that I can do or something that I can experience in this one life that we're given. And uh, it was amazing how broad the application was. It was just astounding. You know, maybe that takes us to what you're doing now, or one of the things that you're, one of the many things that you're doing now, which is this live your days uh, platform, this, this mm-hmm. concept that you've, you've created, um, which is very applicable to our current situation where we're in these crazy uncertain times. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have lost foundations, whether they were financial foundations or emotional or spiritual uh foundations and uh you have issued a call to presentness Mm -hmm. i'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about live your days how you came up with this concept what it is and what you're trying to achieve with it so um live your days actually came out of um, an interview I did. Uh, it was after the diagnosis of my third brain tumor. And, you know, the first one was um, very scary and it ignited a mountain of prayer. Um, second one felt like getting kicked in the gut. And then one surgery that didn't go as planned became nine more. Um, and, you know, it was just sort of that knockdown thing. So when the third uh, tumor came, you know, after, especially after the experience I had with the second one, yeah, I would have thought that my reaction to it would have been you know, being devastated or fearful or whatever. And it was not that at all. You know, it was um, this uh, situation where uh, I went in to get a normal routine scan, just to you know, keep an eye on it. And it had grown, but it was still very small. And um, I wasn't symptomatic at all. And so they're giving me all of these uh, uh these recommendations for treatment, whether it be surgery again, then like the last one or the last 10. Um, and then there was the idea that I can't do radiation anymore because the nature of the area would just, I would probably go blind. And then uh, there was a new medical treatment. They're giving me all these options and all I'm hearing kind of is like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> because uh, in the back of my mind, the only thing that I kept hearing was um, get strong. And I was like, I, I get strong. What does that mean? Get strong. I didn't know what it meant. You know, just what it was there, get strong, get strong. And so I, I kind of took a step back and I go, is that physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual? What is it? And then I kind of made the right choice. I just said all the above, you know, so let's go all in and, and just sort of live a little bit more intentionally, a little bit more um, awake, alive, a little bit more intentional, a little bit more. And so um, I, and I like being on prayer chains, you know, I have a, a situation like that. And so I agreed to do one interview for people.com. And, uh, you know, we figured, you know, if it got shared about, you know, five, 10,000 times, that would be really good for us, you know, an interview like that. And so, you know, in it, I talked about, you know, how do you tell your children? And I, I tell them, I'm excited. You know, it's like, dad, is your brain tumor back? Yes, it is. And it's like, you know, you know it's kind of, why would you do that? Well, why would I want them to be afraid? You know, it's like, you know, I, I embrace whatever's going on in my life. So I did this interview and um, it, the response to it was astounding. You know, it, it uh, from what I've been told, it's been viewed 35 million times. And it's like, what, what in the world? You know, so a lot of that is, you know, introducing uh, responses to unfortunate circumstances in ways that we hold the power to it. But the live your days thing came out of it where I said, look, you know, it's our bodies are incredibly vulnerable, susceptible, fragile to a a mountain of different situations, but also honestly, incredibly resilient, but ultimately temporary, you know, so it's like knowing that, (laughs) knowing that, you know, we're here for only so many days, how do we want to live them? And, and how do we want to approach each day with intention and, and really just being present and alive and, and understanding that this is one of your numbered days. It's, you know, it's like saying that we're temporary isn't, isn't being um, pessimistic or anything. It's just honest, right? And so knowing that, it's like, it's a kind of a call to action. 
And it's, you know, the, the line that we use in Live Your Days, and, and if people can check it out at liveyourdays.com is, it's not the amount of, you know, it's not the number of days we have in our lives that, you know, it's kind of, it's how we live them, you know, and, and it's true. And I've always felt that way about any um, situation or it's not the events in your life that define you or your character. It's how you respond to them. And, it, and it's all of those things that where we just hit that fork in the road and, and where do we want to go, you know, and my forks in the road have never been right or left. They've been up or down. And I really feel strongly that you know, we, we do um, in those situations where we're at risk, we, we can succumb, adapt, or evolve. And when you're looking at the fork in the road, succumb means, you know, let the, whatever that's going on in your life just take you down, just down, down, down. And it's really hard to recover from that. You can adapt and not just to stand at the, at the fork in the road, just stand there and just sort of adapt to whatever's, you know, and just kind of live with it. Or you can kind of take that tough road back and you can evolve. And in that you're, you're better, different. Um, you're more uh, more than you were before, out of this situation, this unfortunate situation. So, you know, um, I heard a little girl say, a seventeen-year-old girl who lost her leg, student athlete, lost her leg to cancer, and she said in a really, really cool speech, I'll never forget it. She said, "Cancer is the worst thing that ever happened to me," and everybody in the audience was kind of nodding because they were all cancer survivors. And she said, but I'm here to tell you that cancer was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. And I, I just, and all of a sudden, all the synapses in my brain were just firing because I realized that my life was changed forever because of my cancer and um, forever and for the better out of my cancer, because I looked at life completely differently post-cancer than I did going in. And, and I'm grateful, I'm really grateful that if I it didn't have cancer, if I never had cancer, uh, my life would look completely different than it does today. And I'm really grateful for it. I, you know, I, you know, if I would have had that kind of choice, let's go back, let's rewind and go back to those days. Would you, would, if you didn't have cancer, you could do this. I'd say, no, 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 I need to have that experience. I need to have chemo. I need to have surgery. I need to be able to feel the power of coming back um, from all those uh, circumstances. And, and now I, you know, I look at things differently. I don't, yeah, I don't worry about stuff, you know, like, um, like maybe I would have had I not had to live through that. I see life for what it is. It's, it's a pass. It's an opportunity. It's, um, it's a beginning, a middle and an end. And, and, you know, it's like everybody has their own uh, life descriptions, their own challenges, their own, um, their own w wins and losses, their own, you know, talents and weaknesses. And, and so it's just respecting that and, and trying to be a good husband and a good father and, and um, knowing that, uh, you know, they're beautiful, perfect creations of, um, you know, our, our God and, and that he has a plan. And so we just got to uh, respect that, but also participate in it. I, I love the story. And, you know, it, what comes to mind, you talk about wins and losses, it's, it's a victory, you know, and, and it's a temporary victory. There's going to be other battles to be fought tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. next week, right? I mean, those, those battles yeah. never end in life yeah. yet think about the sweetness of the victory with the greater challenge. Think about your victories in the past. Was it when, you know, the field that you were competing against was weak or when it was the strongest and you had that victory. So when you have those mountains to climb, I mean, it, the view when, when you get up there and have, have conquered that there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's more gratitude, there's more humility. There's just, I don't know. I, yeah. And, you know, when, when it comes to life-threatening stuff, you know, it really does change the way you think about everything. When I, when I look back on my skating career and, you know, people would have thought, you know, it's like, well, you must have really loved to compete, you know, to be at that level and then go the last four years undefeated. It's like, actually, I, did, I didn't like competing at all. <laughs> and I, I, the whole thing was, I loved the 10 minutes after I won. That was awesome. And then it was like, Got to go back to work. <laughs> back to work, you know, and so it was all that, right? So, um, you know, and I knew that with each one, it was taking me closer to kind of um, the bigger goal of 
uh, really uh, impacted the sport positively and also um, hopefully being able to become the next, whatever that was as a professional skater. And because, you know, when I competed, it was purely amateur, 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 like we couldn't accept money for doing anything that was anywhere near the rink, you know, couldn't even work at the rink, you know, it was that strict. And, and so, you know, I delivered pizzas and I would do certain different things. And, and, uh, and, you know, it, it was just sort of when I won the gold medal in uh, Sarajevo in 1984, it's like, I'm living in, one of my closest friends' parents' basements mm. because I, I, I was broke. I had nothing. And so, you know, from that, um, from that year, 84, when I went to the Worlds afterwards, competed one more time, and then I, I decided I had to turn professional, um, you know, it was kind of like, okay, I'm starting over. So I have to be humble and hungry here like I was when I competed. You know, Scott, you know, what, something that comes to mind as you, you're telling your story is, I, I, I believe, I'm going to switch gears for a second, right in the middle of anyway, my yeah. comment. <laughs> you, uh, I understand you are a fan of, of Warren Buffett and his leadership and everything he does. Mm -hmm. But one of the things he said back in 2015 in a letter to shareholders, he said, much of what you become in life depends on whom you choose to admire and copy. And it seems to me that you had a great example, even in your, in your mother in how oh, she man. handled her cancer. And you and I actually have that in, in common. I believe you were probably close to around 17. I was 18 when my mom had her second round of, of cancer. She had a, you know, breast cancer, a young, uh, 10 years earlier, but, um, this was bone cancer back in, you know, gosh, when was that? 1984. I was just 18. And and uh, she was such an inspiration to me. Teacher, my mother was a teacher as well, just like just yeah. like her mother. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, it seems like that's somebody that that you copied in in how she oh, handled that. Everything, grace. yeah, yeah. She came home. Um, I guess I was, uh, I think I was sixteen when she came home. We we just were at nationals in uh in the bay area actually and she treated like a family vacation and everything was great and, and uh, was she never been to california so it was really exciting that she got to travel like that and and go to the nationals so we did all the touristy stuff and it was great and then we got home and i would i would go from nationals back to illinois where i was training and then pack up everything and then come home and um, it was after I was home and back in school in ohio and um, she came home from a doctor's visit and just said, okay, everybody, family meeting. And I was like, ah, what's a family meeting? And so we sat around the kitchen table and she says, okay, everybody with a big smile on her face. She said, I've just been to the doctor and I'm di I've been diagnosed with um, a, a condition called cancer. And I just want y'all to know that um, I'm gonna have to have, take some medicine and I'm gonna have, may have to have some surgery or whatever. But the main reason I wanted to sit y'all down is just to say that, you know, I may need some help and we have to, Kind of you know, shift things around a little bit and i'm gonna so you know you're doing this you're doing this you're doing this and then she looked at me and she said and you mister i go yes ma'am she said i uh, uh we're broke you know we can get you through one more year of skating it'll be your senior year in high school and uh after this year um you know we, you're, you can graduate high school go to college uh, we're both professors at the university um yeah I, we can afford free because that's what your tuition would be and um and that's going to be your life. And I said, okay. So, uh, you know, she didn't seem nervous. She didn't seem upset. She didn't seem scared. She didn't seem anything. It was just like, la -di -da -di -da -di -da. and she was the most sacrificial person I've ever met. She never bought clothes for herself. She never, you know, like spent any money on her. It was all her kids. You know, she would always wear the same kind of brown polyester pantsuit everywhere she went. And, and she, she didn't have a really high self-esteem. You know, she was, um, she would say she was five foot and a quarter. I think she was more like four eleven, and she always struggled with her weight. And and so, um, you know, she was just amazing. She was just the most um, unbelievably sacrificial person I'd I'd ever known. For two years, I I watched her fight this thing valiantly, and um, and then. Um, we were in her room. Um, we were in her hospital room. It was two years later, almost two years to the, to the month um, later. And uh, 
we were there till about 3.30 in the morning and she wasn't um, conscious. She was in you know, a lot of pain, so they kept her sedated. And um, then I went home and we had a lot of people there to support us. And I was sleeping on the couch in the family room and my brother-in-law at the time uh, woke me up and he just said, your mother is gone. And all I could think to say was, I know. That's all I could think to say. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know of any, I just, you know, it's just, she's gone. It's like, okay. So I, I got dressed and I went out in our backyard and I just walked, I just walked and walked and walked and walked. And I had to figure out how am I going to do this life thing without her? I mean, how, how I, I, I never thought I'd, I'd see a day without her. So now she's gone and how, how can I do this? And I, I saw a really close friend of mine, you know, lost his mom. Um, and he turned to drugs and alcohol. And I just didn't really want to do that because I didn't think it honored her. Yeah, the lower road, right? Yeah, right. So I figured, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to mourn her effectively? And so I just, I decided that I was going to uh, take her with me every day to the ice. And I was going to work really hard to become the skater that she always dreamed I could be. The last competition she saw me skate in um, well, that after she gave us the news that she had cancer, that next year I won the junior nationals. I was always at the bottom at nationals. I was uh, ninth, ninth, seventh, always at the bottom at nationals. So I won junior nationals because it just that year, everything, I kind of pushed all my chips in. I showed up with intention, really committed to that year. And, uh, and I won and she was at nationals with her arm in a sling She'd lost her left breast um, to, you know, surgery and everything. And then, and mostly inside of her left arm. And she was wearing a wig because her hair had all fallen out with chemo. She had the biggest smile on her face because she had that kind of ace in the hole, which was that on the way to the nationals in Colorado Springs, she met with a couple who wanted to sponsor me. Uh, they, you know, they were big, they loved skating and they had a lot of money and they didn't have any kids. And they just thought it would be a an incredible ways for somebody that you know had this dream to not be able to fulfill it due to a lack of money when they had plenty right so they became sponsors and another set of parents to me and then the next year um, I call it the trifecta I was um, I was sponsored I turned 18 and I had my own apartment and uh, that doesn't recipe for disaster (laughs) it was bad and so that year i went to the nationals my first year in seniors and and i was just i i was so out of focus and i was just so like distracted and just i I was a mess i was an absolute mess and um i ended up uh coming in ninth in my senior nationals and i just skated poorly and it was just it was just awful and um that would be the last time my mom would ever see me skate in competition and um and so out of that ninth place finish, um, I came home, uh, she passed, and then um, I had to figure out what to do. So I took her with me to the ice every single day that year. I, I drove my coach crazy because I was so ambitious and I was so on it. And I was like, why isn't everybody working as hard as me? Why can't you coach? I need more lessons. I need more, 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 more. And so that year um, I came in third at the U S nationals, which put me on the world team where I came in 11th. So I went from being ninth in the country as a disaster. Last time my mom saw me skate uh, to being third in the world or no third in the U S 11th in the world. And then two years later, I'm on the Olympic team. And uh, it was unbelievable that, you know, these things just happened because I decided to honor her in and, and, you know, all the sacrifices that she made to keep me in skate, the least I could do was be the best skater I could possibly be. And so it was a huge driving force and it changed everything. The whole trajectory of, of my skating just flipped. And I, I um, after that 80 Olympics, um, I like to joke that, it, you know, I woke up for breakfast one time uh, that spring after the 80 Olympics where I came in fifth. And uh, Robin Cousins, the Olympic gold medalist uh, turned professional, uh, John, uh, Jan Hoffman, the silver medalist, uh, went to medical school, and Charlie Tickner, the bronze medalist, turned professional. So all I had to do was wake up, and I'm ranked second in the world. <laughs> and I, I like to joke, it's a really good cup of coffee that day, right? It's like, wow. So what do I need to do in order to win? What do I need to do to get over that guy that came in that's, that's ranked first in the world? And it was so funny because um, he was this brilliant skater in the compulsory figures, which were my nemesis. I hated figures and they hated me back. 
And so I realized that the year that I came in dead last in novice, the year that I fell five times in my long and came in dead last, he was on the podium in senior men as this whiz kid, like this 13 year old whiz kid who like he's on the podium at, at senior nationals when I'm coming in last in novice, man, how do I, how do I close the gap there? I mean, that's a pretty big gap. And so I just um, decided that I had to, um, fall in love with compulsory figures. I just had, I had like a part of the job that I actually hated. I had to fall, I had to just change it. Like that I was love my this weakness. So much. I love this because so often I hear this word, you know, if you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. I say rubbish to that because there's <laughs> always going to be something that you hate about what you love. Yeah. Right. And so, but embracing that the way you did is part of also being resilient. It's, it's, yeah you have to be able to, it's always work even if you're doing something as, as amazing as skating for i don't know i i just i i think that's, no, a, it's, that's an important no message. but it's true and it's something i tell my kids all the time and they um they get like they roll their eyes you know it's like um, what's a great what's the greatest strength right what's the greatest strength and then okay here we go here's the answer lack of weakness and i go all right figure out where you're weak and get strong, figure out where you're weak and just you know, like work away at that until you're not weak at that anymore. And, and like the more you can do that, the stronger you're going to get across the board. This, so this is my only beef with the whole strengths-based approach. If you listen, if you just focus on your strengths, well, what if your strengths are to be a jerk? Well, then you're, it, it's like, <laughs> you remember the movie, the mask, when you put it on, it yeah, actually yeah, accentuated your yeah, strengths. But if you were a bad guy, time, it made yeah. you worse, yeah. right? Yeah, but it's true. I mean, when you think about, you know, just going where you're strong and just, you know, I'm strong at this, I'm strong at this. You know, it's look at, um, you know, one of the greatest basketball players in history is Shaquille O'Neal. Couldn't shoot a free throw to save his soul. It was painful, right? But, you know, he started working it out and, you know, pretty soon he was, he was at least acceptable in that part of his game. But he was so strong everywhere else that he almost could get away with it until they figure out that they could just foul him and foul him and foul him and foul him. And it just became a strategy, right? So with me, it was figures. And, um, you know, I worked really hard at, I just decided, and you know, what's funny, the, the more I leaned in, the more I started to work them, the I started seeing results. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's not bad. That's pretty good. So from 81 to 84, um, I'd never lost a competition. And a lot of it was based on the fact that I was always in the top two or three in the figures. You know, the year one, it was not year one. I, I think I came in at uh, in 1981. I was like, I think I was eighth in the figures. I came in first in the short. And then I came in first in the long. And I was able to pull all the way up to first place. But it, um, it was really, um, you know, lucky. And then after that, uh, it, I was more consistent. And so I was able to kind of be competitive in all aspects of the competition. And, and I never would have won the Olympic gold medal had I not won the compulsory figures um, and beat the best guy in the world probably ever at compulsory figures, Jean-Christophe Simone from France. So it was one of those things where you know, you just got to figure it out. You just got to work it out. What's preventing me from being successful and how can I participate in solving that problem? And a lot of people, like, you know, I, I see, you know, skaters when I was doing all my commentary and they'd be really strong technically, but they'd be, you know, really weak, you know, with music and they'd be really weak on the performance end. And a judge would tell them, you know, wow, you're, you know, you're, here's what's holding you back. You're, you've got to work on your artistry. And they go, no, I don't. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. And I'd always look at that and I'd say, okay, well, um, you know, it's just, that's going to keep repeating itself until you work it out. Cause it, you've got you just to gotta, take that feedback. You've got, because you've got, how are you getting in your own way? And all of us get in our own way every day. And it's all, you know, it all comes down to statistics. It's like, where did I score really well? And where didn't I, where didn't I, you know, yeah. or, or how did I, you know, how did I get this job, you know, this job opportunity and why didn't I get the job? You know, it's kind of like, it's all, it's all based in data, at least in some or feedback or something else. But I, I try to warn people against some of it. You know, it's like there, there's only really two 
types of criticism. And this is all part of the Finish First platform, which, which is, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's opinion and there's fact. And, you know, you look on, on all the social media stuff and people say all these crazy things and, you know, it's, it's insane. And, and, you know, a lot of the criticism I got, you know, you know, was just irresponsible criticism. I had one judge tell my, my uh, coach, he said, it's really good that Scott's doing better, but you have to, you know, just accept the fact that he's too short to be competitive internationally. And I'm like, well, is that opinion or is that fact? Well, let me see, who won the Olympic gold medal in men's figure skating in 1960? That would be David Jenkins. How tall is David Jenkins? My height. So basically my whole thing was, I don't want that judge on my panel <laughs> because she's got a, some sort of discrimination against short people. So like, okay, as long as I don't have her, I'm fine. And I would, I would just try to present myself as big as possible because you know, in that way you're commanding more of the ice and everything else, but it had nothing to do with my height. And, and that's what I tell people, I go, if, if somebody criticizes you and there's meat on the bone, right? If somebody criticizes you and, and you, you say, well, that's kind of true. It's like, thank you. That was a gift. I, now I can kind of try to work on this and try to hopefully get better at it. But if it's you're gonna, unwilling or just going to hear all the, all the criticism and then allow it to crush you, that's bad. Or if you're just going to deny all criticism, that's bad as well. So you have to filter it out. I had a mentor say to me, is it, could you, could you see from their perspective of how that might be true? Mm -hmm. When somebody said something, you know, so-and-so said something about, you know, and I'm like, ah, I didn't really buy into it. Could you see from their perspective, how, how they might mm -hmm. see that about you or feel that? About yeah. You? Yeah. And so that judge that thought I was too short, it was like, okay, that's fine. She just doesn't like short people. Don't want her on my panel. There you go. That's eliminating <laughs> a weakness, right? Yeah, yeah. That's it. She's my weakness, not me. Right. Hey, Scott, I want to come back to something that you said when you were telling the story about your mother. You were saying um, that uh, when she passed, she had been such an anchor in your life. You wondered um, what you were going to do because um, you were so reliant on her. And um, I'm just curious how how you were able to overcome that along with so many other things, how you were able to make or find the strength to make the decision when you came to that vertical fork in the road to push on and not to just sit or go down a destructive path. What gave you the strength to actually make the right choices? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it just felt, you know, I always tell people, you know, there's one thing to re react to something, but when something is in your, in your spirit, if something is resides in your being that just is, is telling you to do something or um, asking you to respond in a certain way, you kind of have to answer it, you know? And, and in that, that's just one of the examples of, you know, you go back to, you know, when, when um, I was diagnosed with cancer, and it was one of those things where the fear was just unbelievable. It was just, I was completely enveloped in fear. And uh, I don't, I, you know, looking back on it, you know, I, I've always tried to articulate it well, but I don't know if it was like five minutes, five seconds or a nanosecond that fear just flipped. And like all of a sudden everything within me, it wasn't scared anymore. It was determined. It wasn't fearful of my condition it was just like I was going to come out swinging it wasn't like I felt like a victim I felt like I'm empowered to kind of come in and just hit this thing with everything I can and and so in that you know I, I was going to be the best patient they ever had and and it was extraordinary that my mom you know sort of came back to me in that time where she would say things like you know like this oh this chemotherapy I finally found a way to lose all this weight you know or <laughs> Oh, I love chemo. I've wanted to quit smoking all these years. Now I have no desire. And oh, this kiss chemotherapy, I'm telling you, my hair is so difficult. Now that it's gone, I have these wigs and they're so beautiful and they're so easy. And, and that was my mom, right? That's how she responded to all of that. And I was like, that's who I want to be. You know, I could just hear it over and over in this infinite loop kind of like, like I want to be like that. I want to be like that guy that's really brave in the, in the battle. And I want to really, you know, look at the bright side and I really want to look at, you know, just all the things that I'm learning. And I want to, I want to be that positive influence for people around me. So it's not a pity party, but it's like a, 
some sort of, you know, kind of positive party where no one's allowed in my room at the hospital unless they make me laugh. Because I wanted to identify that period with laughter and not with, you know, nausea or just, you know, kind of micro focusing on these drugs that are going into my body and all that stuff. So in that way, you know, I kind of learned to choose. And my mom was a huge um, example of how to do that. That ties into the Warren Buffett thing that Spencer was talking about a few moments ago. And you guys were talking about, you know, find a leader or find a, somebody that a mentor, whatever it is, a role model that you want to emulate. But ultimately you have to take ownership yourself. You know, these people can be mentors and they can guide you and they can inspire you, but ultimately you have to take the action. And this is going to sound like a stretched analogy or metaphor, but I listened to the podcast episode that you did with Christy Yamaguchi, who's one of my favorites. Mm, thank and, you. And you had a, a little playful banter about rented skates. <laughs> yeah, bane of my existence. The bane of your existence. <laughs> and that you, a world champion figure skater, made the comment that I can't skate in rented skates, that you have no. your own skates to be able to. Yeah. to well, it comes down skate. to, you know, it's like, and that the reason it's a bane of my existence is I love the industry. I really want to promote it. I think it's great. Anybody that comes to the rink to experience the ice and want to skate, they'll rent skates. Not you know, people that own most people that just visiting a rink don't own their own skates. They just but I, I try to tell them it's just like, you know, if you're just here to have a good time today, it's fine. But if you really want to do this, you can't skate in those skates. And they're like, why? And I said, well. I used to be pretty good and I can't stand up in them. So if I can't stand up in them, what good are they going to be to you? <laughs> you know, it's just exactly. that, you know? So here's my so, crazy analogy with all of this, yeah. right? Uh, sometimes in our lives, uh, we try to skate through on the experiences and the accomplishments and the joys and the happiness of others. And we can use those as inspirations, but ultimately for us to really go anywhere, we got to be willing to lace up our own skates. We have to be able to walk in our own skates. We have to take ownership and actually do things ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, we can't just rely on everybody else doing things for us. And True. I, you know, the, to me, I, yeah, I'm stretching that metaphor a mile. I know I am, but, but that hit me actually, when you were talking to Christy about these rented skates is that, um, yeah, you know, uh, you rent them. And they're fine uh, for fun. But if you really want to do something serious, I mean, you got to take some ownership. You got to make some investment and get your own. <laughs> well, and that, and that's, again, it's, it's investing in your own success. You know, you, you know, when we talk about um, how to be successful in, in any entity, right. You know, it comes down to uh, ability, uh, comes down to commitment. It comes down to, um, uh, you know, the intellectual aspect of it, you know, so really, you know, you're looking at this thing from, but if you're doing it with the wrong equipment, you know, you're, you know, if you don't have what it takes in order for you to be able to fully participate in that, you know, you're, it's going to be tougher. It's going to be harder. You know, I go back to a friend of mine, we, I used to live in a lake in LA and we go fishing every now and then. And uh, his little boy brought out this, um, one of those pocket fishermen, those plastic things, you know, Ronco pocket fisherman, you know, whatever it is, you know, and uh, we just said, uh, you know, just don't get your hopes up. You're probably not going to be able to catch anything with that, but it's going to be fun. We're going to cut, you know, he was the only one that caught anything, <laughs> you know, what's in that thing. So it's not always the case, but, you know, it's, if you're looking at committing to a career in X, then you need to have the tools to be able to do that effectively, right? Uh, if you want to be in computer design, you're probably going to need a pretty strong computer. You know, if you want to be, um, you know, in, in, in the right sports, let's say you're playing tennis, you want the right racket. If you want to be a great golfer, you're going to need the right clubs. If you're going to, you know, so there's all of those types of things, but generally, you know, they're all extensions of what you are and who you are and what you bring to the table. Um, because there's a lot of people that have done a lot of really amazing things without like the best of the best of the best, but really just came and just um, were able to, you know, really rise up to that situation 
just based on who they were and, and how they prepared for that particular situation. You know, Scott, we've, we've gone a long time and you've been so gracious to, to spend time with us. But, you know, one of the things that you've just shared with us, it, it, it shows your experience and how you've been able to overcome, which is why I think your message, I know you speak uh, internationally and you share this message of, of getting up, of, of overcoming, of living your days mm -hmm. from the right. stage. And it's a message that resonates with all those audiences because people need that right now. And even though they can't be or go through what you're going through, you, they all are going through, everybody that's listening to this oh. podcast right now is going through something and you yeah. can be that spark that helps them to go out to get their own skates. Talk, well, just, and it's just, yeah, it's just understanding. It's just, you know, under, and that's why Live Your Days. If people go to liveyourdays.com, there's this really cool 30-day challenge that we premiered. And it's really, it's fun because it just sort of builds those muscles of, of gratitude, contentment of, you know, I, I can actually like positively just easily without great effort, I can interact with other people in powerful ways, you know, and at the same time, enrich myself and build those muscles of gratitude and joy and, and a day-to-day -day type of thing. It's really, it's really amazing. But, you know, all of it starts with just sort of, you know, that, that decision, that choice, everything's a choice, right? You know, and it's, like, you know, if somebody like, you know, I will be at a, um, you know, a rink or something and somebody will walk in and say, good morning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. and I, go, I go, it's a choice. It's a choice. <laughs> you know, have a great day. But it's that it's like, how do we learn from others? How do we get inspired by others. You know, when I look at, um, you know, all these stories of people that, you know, some I've interacted with, some I haven't, but I just, I look for those people just to, you know, kind of inspire me, right? So um, there's a guy named Kyle Maynard. Uh, I've never met him, but I want to. And he, he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Well, lots of people have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, but do you know anyone else besides Kyle that's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro without arms or legs, right? And it, it, it's that old kind of, um, I think it was Muhammad Ali that said impossible just takes a little bit longer, right? You know, and so you look at that and you go, wow. And then other friends that have just um, experienced unspeakable things that all of us, it would be our worst nightmare. And they've responded to it in the most powerful way you can possibly ever imagine. And it's, it's just life-giving, it's, it's powerful, it's beautiful, it's inspiring. And it just, it kind of allows us to say, well, what choices am I making that are prohibiting me from feeling that power and that joy? And, and you've got to start using those examples to fuel your fire as much as you possibly can. Wow, well, I have to say, um this has been a fantastic hour. I can't believe it. We've already gone almost an hour here and I know we're just scratching the surface, but if people want to engage in this 30 day challenge of yeah. your days, or they want to learn more about the great work that you're doing with the cares foundation to uh, support the cancer um, research and, 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 uh, uh, low impact ways of, of dealing with cancer, or they want to learn more about how you can help them. What's the best way, Scott, for them to reach out and contact you? Well, I, you know, scotthamilton.com. I think you can navigate to all the different things. Scottcares.org is uh, the direct link to the Cancer Foundation where we are uh, turning cancer upside down. That's kind of our big slogan. And it's, it's all based in you know, we want to only invest in treatment options. We want to change the way people are treated for cancer. Treatment options that treat the cancer and leave the patient alone. Treat the cancer, do not harm the patient. And it's kind of a paradigm shift when you think of radiation and chemotherapy that, you know, it's very toxic and it's very tough on the body. If we can ignite the body's own immune system to fight the cancer, recognize it for what it is, then bingo. You know, now we have a cure that is a legitimate cure uh, that that really doesn't have these long-term effects that normal treatment options like current treatment options do, except for maybe proton therapy and, you know, whatever immunotherapy exists right now. So we're really working hard towards that. Um, you know, liveyourdays.com. We were lucky enough to get the URL and it's a fun place to visit, to get inspired and 
we've had eight conversations with familiar people, um, uh, you know, people like Robin Roberts and Kevin Nealon and Christy Yamaguchi and Ali Sweeney and Vern Lundquist and uh, Bart Miller to Mercy Me. Um, you know, there's some great conversations. Marcus Whitney, who I'm a stalker fan of. You know, there's all these great conversations in there that allow us to kind of go, oh, they built their life like this. I kind of relate to that. Or um, that was really fun and getting to know something about peek behind the curtain type of thing like we're doing now. Um, and then there's the 30 day challenge, which is just a daily reminder of just, you know, ways of building those muscles within us to, you know, be, you know, more alive than we've ever been, or at least appreciate it more than maybe we had before. All right. Fantastic. Scott, we'll put all those links up on our podcast so that people can Thank find you. them for, for and uh, get in touch with you and, and learn more about the great work that you're doing and participate and start to live their days. Yeah. Spencer, if people want to learn more about how you might be able to help them, uh, what's the best way for them to contact you? Thank you so much, Christian. Before I do that, I just, one thing I wanted to say, Scott, before we go is, you know, when my wife and I watch skating events, uh, we love your, you know, your work as an analyst, as a commentator. Oh, thank you. And it, 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 you are so good and so real, just like you've been with us, so easy to talk to that it's just so easy to listen to you when, when you're out there. And we just, we just love it. And, and uh, one of the faceless millions of fans when, when you're out there. Anyway, I, um, you can reach me at Altium Leadership dot com that's a l t i u m leadership.com or email me spencer at altium leadership.com and and christian what about you how can people find you uh you can find me at uh, my website gp4.com that's gpfour.com or you can email me at cnapier at gp4.com look at me or look for me on linkedin as well and uh happy to speak with anybody this has been fantastic, Scott, and it's been a real honor and a privilege for us. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll catch you again soon. Thank you.